and let's get right to it. <clears throat> Somebody ever fix you a meal and it looked good and it smelled good and you just kept getting hungry and hungrier and hungrier? That's the way I feel today about the word of the Lord. Amen. I believe it's going to touch our hearts and our souls today. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Amen. You ready? Here we go. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. I'm ready to spill it out under the anointing that you have given me today. Now let your people receive it and catch it today so that it might change their lives forever. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Let's get started with this main idea today. And the big idea of the message is simply this. Trials and temptations are both inevitable. And God intends both to deepen our faith. Let me say it again. Trials and temptations are both inevitable. And God intends both to deepen our faith. Now, when James starts writing this letter to the people of the dispersion, as he says, those who have been scattered abroad, he takes on a couple of subjects that we need to understand. The first, first subject is the idea of faith. In his writing, we see the word faith used 14 times in this book. But the word obedience occurs 59 times. So we have to dispel this idea that everything comes to us by faith. Faith is necessary. Faith is needful. It needs to be discussed and talked about and received and held on to. But faith is dead unless it comes together with obedience. 
So he uses obedience 59 times. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, you know, here we go, legalism. You know, we have to do this, do that, do this, do that. I'm tired of legalism. I just want a free experience in the Lord. I would like to be able to say to you that that's the way it works, but that is not the way that it works. The way that it works is that we don't just listen to the Word of God, but we do what the Word of God tells us to do. In fact, James goes on later to say, if you don't do what the Word of God says, you look at it and you know that it's true and you choose instead not to do what the Word of God says, he says, not only is your faith no good, it is absolutely dead. Because you're not doing what God says for you to do. So he, he explains this right up front. And he wants to explore the, the impact of our faith upon other people. Now, God has called us not just to gather together on Sunday mornings and sing a few songs, but as we have already seen in this service today, he has called us to impact our city. I believe, and in a little bit, we'll pray for these basketball goals. I believe that every time one of these kids shoot at one of these basketball goals, they're going to sense something that is different about these goals than any others. Oh, they're made out of just plastic and, and, and metal and twine and things of that nature. But God is going to anoint that basketball goal and they're going to feel something that they've never felt before. Why? Because of the faith of the people of God who have prayed over them and called salvation and blessing upon those who will be in the vicinity of them. You say, you're crazy, preacher. I'd a whole lot rather be crazy than to be a believer who can't believe God for the miraculous things in this world. I believe God will use it for his glory. So why trials and temptations though? Why, why, if God is God, why can't he just say everything's good all the time? You're always going to be blessed. Nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. Well, it's because uh, these trials and temptations work his will in our lives. Now, here's the piece of information that you need to know right up front. Are you ready? Every trial that you go through is under God's control. And he accomplishes his purpose through trials. You will never go through anything in your life that God is not in control of. God is either in control or he's not God. If he can't control a trial and a tribulation, then he can't control anything. But I've come by to tell you today that every trial and temptation and difficulty that you may experience in life is under his control. Now he says, James does, that there will be various types of trials. This word various includes small trials and big trials, minor trials and major trials. It may be that you've had a toothache before and it's probably because you had a cavity in that tooth or maybe there was a nerve that, that had been infected or abscessed or something of that nature. And while it's painful, it's relatively simple to take care of. But it may be that you got in a ballroom fight one, one, or a barroom fight at some time in your life and somebody hit you in the mouth and cracked one of your teeth. Well, it can still be fixed, but it's a little bit more of a problem than just drilling out a cavity. It may be that you lost the tooth altogether. It may be that they can stick it back in your head. I don't know. I'm thankful today for dentistry that can allow them to literally screw teeth into your head. Amen? But what I'm trying to tell you today is is that while all of those problems are relating to a single area of the body, there are different various levels of pain and difficulty, and so the solution is different. 
And what I'm telling you today is, is that as you go through life, there are going to be big trials and little trials and minor trials and major trials. But the good news is uh, that all of those trials are in control by God. Amen. Uh, you say, well, how do you be joyful uh, in trials? It says, it says, brothers, he said, whenever you experience trials, count it all joy. Well, how in the world do you do that? Well, listen, it's not that we're happy about going through the trials, but it's because our spirit man discerns that when we go through a trial, it's not to harm us, it's not to destroy us, but it is to develop us into the man or woman that God has called us to be. So when you're going through a trial, when you're down and out, lift up your head, child of God, and realize that this has no authority to destroy me, but it has the possibility to develop me into the child of God that he wants me to be. So one of the things we learn from trials and tribulations is that it causes us to grow into his likeness. Verse 3 says that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now when I first started walking, and I haven't been walking for a while because it's cold outside and, and, I, and I've kind of got into some bad habits about not going out. And, but when I first started walking, I mean, it was tough to get around that track over there in high view without needing to sit down on one of those benches because I had not built up my endurance. But the more I walked and the more I sweat, it wasn't long before not only could I could walk the entire track, I could run a little bit as well. You see, as you build up your stamina, then you discover that you can handle more today than you were able to handle yesterday. And what the scripture is saying to you today is that as you go through life and you win this battle and you win that battle and you win this one and yet another one over here, well, then when the devil comes your way again, you can square your shoulders and say, Take your best shot, buddy. I've got the spirit of the living God living in me. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can make it. As Gene Rice used to say, if you can take it, you can make it. Amen. And that's the way it is. Verse 4 says that it will cause you to grow up and be mature. It will cause you to be complete. It will cause you to be in a position where you lack nothing. And here's the problem that we have sometimes. You see, our, our problem is, is that we think that the goal is to be successful. It's to have a better job. It's to make more money, to have a bigger house, a, a better car. And, and, and we get to looking at these difficulties and trials and tribulations and we get frustrated because our circumstances and our wants and our desires are not lining up. And instead of developing us, we allow these difficulties to devastate us. So we get in a funk and in, in a foul mood and, and, and we start getting depression and oppression and frustration and, and our feelings are down because Life is just not going like I thought it should. Listen, it doesn't have to go like you think it should. You should want your life to go the way God thinks it should. You see, because when trials come our way and they devastate us, we can understand that if our goal is to know God and to be conformed into his likeness, then we will succeed every time. Our devastation and our circumstances may not turn out the way that we hoped they would, but when it is all over and said and done, we will find ourselves stronger because of the power of God. Amen. Yes, amen. David Platt says this. He says, a James 1-3 lifestyle, the kind that endures testing, requires a radically God-centered perspective on life. 
In other words, our perspective has to be God's perspective and not our perspective. So if the goal is to just fix our circumstances, then if our circumstances don't get fixed the way that we want them to, then we get discouraged and we pout with God just a little bit. Well, God, you said you'd give us the desires of our heart. But you, you, you always forget that that scripture says, if you will commit your ways unto the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, I didn't want to hear that first part. I, I, I'm one of those half-quote persons. I, I, I get all my inspiration from Facebook, and so they can't put long scriptures in there. They have to cut them in half. So only part I ever saw is that he'll give me the desires of my heart. True, he will. After you commit your way unto the Lord. So we have to live in the, the idea that these situations are not meant to harm us, but to, level up, to, 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 to deliver us. We learn to trust his wisdom. Listen, listen to verses 5 through 8. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An, unde an indecisive man is unstable in all of his ways. Now I want you to get this. This is very important for you to understand. If you need wisdom concerning a situation in your life, it's going to come to you in three stages, in three ways. The first way is knowledge, better known as truth. You've heard me say this, I don't know how many times in the last six years, but I'll say it one more time in case you've missed it. Truth will set you free. But you'll never get free until you know what the truth is. And then once you find out what the truth is, you can't negotiate the truth. The truth is the truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. And I don't care how many times you try to deny the truth. The truth is still the truth. The problem is we want to negotiate what's true and what's not. Well, I know what truth is, but I don't like it, so I'm going to negotiate that around. We do that with Scripture all the time. We read the Scripture, and the Scripture is just as clear as can be. And we in our flesh look at it, and something in our spirit jumps, and we say, that's true. And I know that if I would just do that, it would change my life completely. But I'm not quite ready for that. So, Lord, how about I just negotiate with you on this? How about if I just keep half of it this week, and I'll try to add a little bit as I mature in my faith? Listen. God is not going to be mocked by that kind of negotiating. He will not negotiate his truth with you. The truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. And you will never find victory in your life until you acknowledge the truth of the word and receive it and then do it. Knowledge. And then it comes to us through perspective. Sometimes we don't understand something because we have a different perspective, a different idea of what is and what is not. Bill, would you come help me? Meet me right down here if you will. Bill Bailey, and I need one more volunteer. Is that Bethany back there? Is that you? Come on up here and help me if you will. You know when you come to this church, you can't just sit in the pew. You got to do something. Spread out a little bit. You come over here, Bill. Bethany, you stand right there. I want both of you to close your eyes, and I don't want you to open your eyes until I tell you to, okay? You promise your eyes are still open. All right. Are yours closed? All right. Keep them closed. Don't say a word. Don't, I'm not talking to you two anymore. I'm talking to the congregation. Do you see what I'm holding in my hand? You got it? 
You know what it is. Okay? Everybody see it? Don't open your eyes yet, but Bill turned toward me. Don't open your eyes. Don't open those eyes. <laughs> Bethany, turn toward me, and don't open your eyes yet. Okay, are you ready? On the count of three, I want both of you to open your eyes and tell me what you see laying on the floor in front of you. Okay? Ready? One, two, three. What did you say? What did you say? Nine? You sure? Now it's what? What is it now? Thank you very much for your help. You two are very intelligent people. The same exact thing. The same exact shape, but two different perspectives. So, you know, my truth will be found if I'm just simply walking in the flesh. My truth will be found by my perspective and through my perspective. And my perspective may be different than your perspective. But when I see the truth clearly, then there's no denying what the truth can be. And just like in this instance, where after the perspective was changed, their truth changed. So what I'm saying to you is, is I don't care if you learn something and you've lived by it all your life. It may be that you'll have to change what you think about it once you see God's perspective. I, I, I probably shouldn't ought to do this, but I'm going to get myself in trouble for just a few seconds. Is that okay? When I grew up, I grew up in a town where there were no black people at all in the community where I grew up. Just a bunch of lily white people like me. As white as could be. I had never met a black individual. I didn't know anything about them because there were none that lived in my community. And my perspective was that of an individual who knew nothing about another world that is just as good as my world was. And then I started meeting some people who looked differently than me. Their skin was a different color than mine. Their perspective was a little bit different. And I didn't have a right to say, well, you've got to be wrong because I didn't learn it that way. No, as I have grown in my knowledge of other people and their black backgrounds, I have discovered that my perspective from when I was a little kid needed to be turned so that I could see the truth of the beauty of God's creation. Let me tell you something. Any, any person who looks at a black person or a Chinese person, an Asian person, or any other a community that is outside of our own and we don't see them through the eyes of God's love, then our perspective needs to change. Because he created every last one of us. And we are all beautiful in his sight. Red and yellow, black and white, we are precious in his sight. Amen. Perspective. And the third thing is experience. Once I've won a few battles, I have some confidence. Like David, when he went before Goliath, Goliath said, well, they're sending a little punk like you out here. He said, let me tell you something, son. When I was out there with those sheep with my bare hands, I killed a bear and a lion, and I ain't afraid of you. Today I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. And that's exactly what happened. But what built his faith was the experience that he had lived through. I've got to move on. My goodness. They're already frying the chicken at Kentucky Fried. 
See, our knowledge is not complete. Our perspective is not complete. Our experience is not complete. But the good news is, is that we serve a God that is complete in all of those areas. And that's why the scripture says, if you are lacking in wisdom, ask him who has all wisdom and knowledge. And he won't make fun of you. He won't criticize you. He won't say, oh, shame on you for not knowing this already. He will say, if you need the wisdom and the knowledge, I will freely pour wisdom out upon you so that you can have the wisdom that you need. Somebody say amen. Praise the Lord. And then we learn that we have to rely on his resources. Look at verses 9 through 11. The brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation, but the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and dries up the grass. Its flower falls off. Its beautiful appearance appearance is destroyed. And in the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities. What he's saying is... That whether you're rich or poor, you're still dependent upon the resources of God Almighty. If you're poor and you don't have a penny to your name, then you can rejoice in the fact that you're a child of the the king. You're a child of God. You have royal blood flowing through your veins. There's not a need that you have that he can't supply for you. You'll be like the little lady who went to the temple and gave just a mite in the offering. And the Lord said she gave more than than them all because she gave out of her need. Listen, it's not about how rich or how poor you are. It's about how connected you are to the king. Amen. So you don't you you don't exult in your own financial situation. I know people that they're proud of to be poor. I'm proud to be an Okie from Muskogee. Yeah, good old Rocky Top, Rocky Top. I'm glad. I'm proud to be a redneck. I'm tired. I'm just proud as can be. They ain't got no shoes, and the shoes I do have have holes in them. I'm not. I don't want to be poor. But if I if I am poor, I can rejoice in the fact that I am in the hands of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and every need that I have, He will supply. Then he says, if you're rich, you better be real careful because it's real easy to start trusting in yourself. You know, I, I, I don't know where we got this mentality that I just need to hoard more and hoard more and hoard more. It's, it, it, it's kind of like the story that I've told you this before. It's like the, the rich man that he told his wife before he died on his deathbed. He said to her, I want you to make me a promise. That when I die, that you get all the money that I have and you put it in the coffin with me before they close it up. She said, do you promise? And she looked at him and said, I promise. I promise. And just before the funeral director closed it, she reached into her purse and got a check that she had written and put it by his face. And they closed the coffin with all the money that he had to his name. They said, you can't take it with you, child of God. And if, if somehow you lose it all tomorrow, don't worry about it. Because the God that you serve is able to provide every need that you have. Paul said, he is able to provide. My God shall provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And then we learn that we, are, we have to live for his reward. Look at verse 12. A man who endures trials is blessed because... Because when he passes the test, oh, look at your neighbor and say, you're going to pass the test. 
Aren't you glad that it doesn't say, because if he passes the test. Aren't you glad it doesn't say he might pass the test. No, it says when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Well, we think about the crown of life and we think about this, we think about this wreath. Somebody used, they used to put it on their head in the, and back in scripture days, they put it up on their head and it had this little funky little uh, wreath around their, their head and, and, and guys and gals would just kind of walk around with that wreath on their head and say, look, I'm, I'm in a different category than you are because I've got a wreath on my head. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those that don't just stand around so that everybody can look at them in all of their beautiful glory, but they are involved in running the race even at the moment the reward is not in the crown, but in the running of the race. We got our eyes on the wrong things. Secondly, the crown of life is not some physical crown with all of these rubies and all. It's true. When we get to heaven, we're going to get a crown. Can you imagine? Man, I feel like I've claimed so many crowns since I've been here on this earth. And my stack of crowns, they're going to go all the way up. I mean, I've been good. I was raised in the church. And not just any old church. The church of God. The church of God is right. Hallelujah to the land. The church of God is right. Hallelujah. How many of you remember that? Anybody? To the land. The church of God. Not assembly of God is right. Hallelujah to the land. I'm telling you, we used to be some of the most arrogant people that ever walked the face of the earth. Let me tell you, God doesn't give a rip about whether you're Baptist or Church of God or Assembly of God or Independent Baptist or whatever. There's only one thing that is required, and that is we accept and believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is that he did what he said he did, and that his promises are yes and amen for every one of us. Well, good. If I don't have to be church of God, I'm leaving then. Hallelujah. To the... No. No, you go where God puts you, not so that you can be a consumer, but so that you can contribute to the kingdom of God. I promise that's all I'll say about that. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. (laughs) Your problems, listen, your problems are temporary. Your problems are going to have to let go of you sooner or later. Later, in the light of the glory of Jesus Christ, it's going to have to let go of you because it is a temporary and light affliction. Come help me quit if you will. I could preach all day today. So, pastor, I'm being tempted. Whose fault is it? Whose fault? It couldn't be my fault. It's got to be God's fault. I've been being as good as I can be. It's got to be him. It can't be me. Well, let me, let me tell you what James has to say about it. You okay? Listen to verse 13. No one, say nobody, Undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil. (laughs) And he himself 
does not tempt anyone. But each person, say that's me, is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Four stages to sin quickly. The first one is deception. Do you know what deception is? It's simply refusing to believe what God has said. If you don't agree with what God has said, you are deceiving yourself to believe a lie. Because God always speaks the truth. Deception. Then desire. Oh, I don't know. That looks awfully good to me. Oh, she looks good to me. Ooh, he looks fine. I got to have me some of that. Let me tell you, you're deceiving yourself. You're letting your desires overtake your spirit, man. You're letting your desires live in your soul. When you need to turn your soul over to the spirit of God. Desire. It's kind of like baiting a hook. How many of you ever gone fishing? Now, I know that there are some stupid fish in the lake. I get it. I, I used to go fishing for pan fish some when I was little, and you could, throw the, you could throw it out there. You didn't even have to have worm on the hook. Just throw it out there, and those dumb pan fish would take that naked hook and find their way to my frying pan because they're stupid. But the smart fish, those big bass, you, you can't just throw anything out there at them most of the time. You have to work at catching one of them. You, you kind of have to entice them a little bit to take your bait. And that's what, that's what James is saying. Sin comes when we start, when the devil starts baiting our hook. And we start saying, that looks like something that is enticing to me. I need some of that then deception, desire, and then disobedience. And I've already talked about this, so I won't say much about it. But listen, some of you need to get this in your spirit. Listen, God doesn't negotiate his word. He never has, he never will. And it's sad that one of the most sad things for a pastor is to preach week after week after week to people of God that ought to know by now what the Word declares as truth. And you continue to look at it, and you continue to know it's true, and you continue to know that your pastor is telling you the truth, and you continue to know that other believers are telling you the truth, but you make a decision to go against what God has already declared to be true. You know what James says about it? Your faith is dead. Non-existent. But I go to church. I even dress like a Christian does. I even look like a Christian. Every now and then I pray. Just the other day somebody pulled out in front of me. And I said, oh dear God, why in the world did you do that? I pray all the time. Let me tell you, when you look at the Word of God and know what truth is and decide against it, somebody somebody needs to know your, your faith is dead today. And then finally, death. If you keep doing it, if you keep living it, if you keep saying it, if you keep being it, if you keep walking in it, it will bring something to a close in your life, something that is precious to you will die. I'm not saying physically necessarily. Adam and Eve partook of the fruit. They did not die physically, 
But there were a lot of things that died in them that day spiritually. Something will die in you if you keep in this process of sin. Well, there he goes again. Closing on a negative note. Pastor always has to be negative at the end. I bet he wants to get people crying and running to the altars and uh, coming up front and, uh, and, and praying and crying and, uh, and sobbing and, uh, and uh, snotting all over the place. And he's learned if you'll just end negative, and that's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to fake you out today. Psalm, or excuse me, James 1, 17 and 18. Every generous act and every perfect act comes from above, from the Father of lights. And with him there is no variation of shadow cast by his turning. Verse 18. But by his own choice, <laughs> he gave us a new birth by the message of truth so that we could be the first fruits of his creatures. I told you some negative things today, but I ended with what's good. Because what I need you to know today is that every good thing comes from the Father up above. The devil's not going to do anything good for you. The devil's not going to do anything nice for you. He's not going to lift you up. He's not going to encourage you. He's not going to see to it that you get a promotion at work. He's not going to see to it that you experience joy. He's not going to see to it that you're happy and you know it. Clap your hands. Uh, he's not going to do it because he is a thief who has come to kill and to steal and to destroy you. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came so that you might have life and so that you might have it more abundantly. Stand with me this morning. Everybody come down here just as fast as you can come. Everybody, if you can, come down here. Go ahead and sing something.
by that passage of scripture that talks about in him there is no variableness or shadow of turning. In other words, there's no change in him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not trying to fake you out. He's not trying to create a shadow and they say, run into my shadow and you'll be blessed. And then when you get there, say, oh, I decided I wanted to move my shadow over here. You got to come over here now and get in my shadow. Oh, I've changed my mind again. Bring my shadow over here. If you want to be blessed, get in my, no. The Lord says he gives you the path. He tells you what you need to do. He establishes the place of blessing. And when you run there, he's not going to change the rules on you at the last minute. He's not going to change the way it works at the last minute. You fulfill the word of the Lord. You will be blessed. Let me read something to you. David Platt comments on that. He says, God is perpetually constantly and consistently good. God never gets in a bad mood. (laughs) He never changes for the worse and he never changes for the better because he is already perfectly and ultimately and wonderfully good in every way. And you can't get any better than God. If he could change for the better, that would mean that he wasn't ultimately good in the first place. But he is. God's always good, always good, always good. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. God is good all the time. All the time. You say, oh, but you don't know what I'm going through. Well, you're not just, you're not seeing it from his perspective. You're seeing it from your perspective. It hurts. It's painful. But what God is allowing you to go through right now is the very thing that's going to mature you and strengthen you and cause you to become more than a conqueror in Him. It's what's going to develop you into what He has called you. Don't you let the devil steal this message from you. Don't you walk out this door and say, well, it's sounding good and pastor got all excited yet again. No, if you're going to do anything, you walk out there and you say, I am equipped to win this battle. I have the word of God, the spirit of God in me. I am able to do whatever I need to do by the power of God that lives and resides in me. I may not like it. It may not feel good for the moment, but it's it's just a temporary feeling because I'm coming through I'm coming through devil I'm coming through I'm coming through devil I'm coming through I am walking through this God is on my side I'm coming through I'm coming through I'm coming through coming through coming through Coming through. <laughs> 
My children, let me remind you this morning that I am the high priest who was touched in every way that you are touched. And yet I accomplished it without sin or failure. For years the world has been saying that I failed. They said that I failed when I couldn't find a room in the inn, but I chose to come in that manger. They said that I was emotionally disturbed when in the garden I sweat great drops of blood and cried, Father, if there be any way to let this cup pass from me, let it be, but not my will, but thine be done. Oh, they said I failed, but I did not. And then when they beat me and striped me, when they placed nails in my hand, in my feet, they pierced my side. And my physical body died. They said I failed because they took my life from me. Let me remind you today, they didn't take anything from me. I willingly laid it down for you. And when I ascended into the heavenlies and took my rightful place at the right hand of the Father, they've said, well, he's been talking about coming for years and years and years and he has not returned yet. He won't come back. He won't do as he said he would do. He is gone. He's simply a historical figure who is gone from the scene, never to return. But let me remind you that there has not failed one word of prophetic truth. And my word declares that I will come again and receive my own unto myself that where I am there you may be also. So I remind you today, my children, I have never failed you or let you down. My word has never failed one time. So place your trust in me today. And I will see you through. It may not look like you think it should look. It might not feel like you think it should feel. But trust me when I tell you that when I am finished, when I have crafted the vessel, it will be a workmanship that is crafted according to my vision and my dream my ability I've never failed I won't start now trust me saith the Lord will you lift your hands and give him praise